0: But as far as uh, staying up on it, uh, the trick is is just to stay in it. Thank you for joining us
1: and welcome to the Focusrite Pro podcast. This is a show where we dive into the cutting-edge technology behind professional audio products. My name is Dan Hughley and I'm the U.S. Marketing Manager for Focusrite and Focusrite Pro. Today we're recording from Henze Sound in Studio City, California. On the show today, I'm joined by Dave Riley, North American Sales Manager for Focusrite Pro, and David Henze, owner of Henze Sound. Today, we'll discuss getting certified for Dolby Atmos, mixing EDM, jazz, and feature films in Atmos, analog versus digital, and a whole lot more. Let's get started. Podcast, David. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How's your day so far?
0: Oh, everything sucks. <laughs> no, I'm, ju- I'm yeah. just, I'm just kidding. It's actually as good as it could possibly be. I'm loving it.
1: Any day above dirt's a good one. Is something someone told me once, and I thought right. that those were good words to live by.
0: No, uh, it's uh, it couldn't be better.
1: Great. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. You have a beautiful room here. We appreciate you inviting us in uh, to take a look. Um, i'd love to learn a lot more about it and uh i guess that's why we're here (laughs) how how long have you been in this space
0: uh a little more than a year now since Uh we started construction and things
1: okay how long have you been up and running
0: well we were up and running for a little while about five months ago or so Mm -hmm. and then just a couple of months because we put the brakes on everything to get uh, some certifications that we needed
1: oh that's great yeah um so, look, I'm going to back up. Um, what brought you to work with sound? What interested you in, uh, in sound when you were in, your, in the beginning of your
0: career? Well, when I was very young, uh, and I got my first electric guitar, which was a magical experience, mm-hmm. uh, we'd have these little bands in my neighborhood, and I pretty much was the guy that had to go to everybody's rig. And adjust it to get the sound right, so that I could jam because i couldn't I couldn't get my head around it until the sounds were all right, you know, yeah, and uh so I knew right away what I wanted to do, and then I used to sneak out of the house at night with my big brother, and uh we'd go into clubs where you know all the bands in the midwest would carry around three tons of gear and so you'd set up all this equipment in in these bars and uh and it was a competition you know it sure. was about the power and the bass and the majesty of the sound and everything and uh it was hard work and uh but I loved it yeah and
1: yeah it, it's funny how people just uh <sighs> kind of gravitate towards being the engineer of the band or of the group uh and uh it definitely takes a special ear sounds like pretty much pretty much how you did it you you could hear uh the different tones rubbing and things like that but and you wanted it to sound great and 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 congratulations many years later you have a great career in professional audio uh just from it sounds like you started as a hobby
0: yeah it uh i didn't ever think about it it's just where things went that's great and i just did what i felt uh comfortable doing i i really didn't think about it a lot i just uh had the desire for it you know
1: um so growing up in milwaukee what was the state of the audio industry when you when you first got into it
0: well aside from the bands in the local club scene which was a you know ruthless competition mm-hmm. when it came to the sound that bands were expected to have in those days it was uh you know hard rock mm-hmm. And, uh, but then uh, the first real studio I worked at was Dave Kennedy Recording. Oh, cool. And he did Symphony Orchestra and Big Band. And, you know, and uh, and Dave was the guy who knew how to record instruments. You know, what do you do sure. with a trombone or right. a, a xylophone? You know, it's, uh, you don't just stick a mic up to it.
1: Yeah, a lot of people would just go, well, here we go, let's try this out. You know, uh, <laughs> right. I, I've been through a couple of those. Uh, you know miking up a harmonica sometimes is a is a tough thing to do uh, or a tuba um you know some of those things are a little bit tough sometimes yeah um but uh yeah i've I've had to do a couple of those myself um what uh what kind of difficulties did you face when you were first starting out
0: well, it's a small fraternity at that time, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of opportunities there wasn't a lot of openings uh uh the broadcast part of it was very hidden from public view, and the music part of it was already taken by people, so it was tough sure. getting your foot in there yeah uh and I just kept at it until uh until uh you know I found an opportunity but i also i did go to a school in uh called Omega mm-hmm. in Maryland.
1: Okay. Was that an audio school? Yeah. Okay.
0: And then I couldn't find any colleges with uh, audio engineering classes at the time, but uh, CalArts had an electronic music class. Oh, yeah. And so I took a few courses there. I wasn't a a formal student there, and then uh, one of the guys, one of the students there was one of the first people to control a synthesizer with a computer. And so I took classes from him in electronic music because that was the closest thing I could get to engineering.
1: Sure. It's something, right? You got your foot in the door with that.
0: And then I came back and was able to land a couple of uh, small jobs and kind of worked on it from there.
1: It it sounds like, um, you know, talking about uh, controlling synthesizers with computers and things like that, it sounds like you were um, kind of an early adopter of digital things, uh, where it was a pretty analog world when you first got started. Um, were you, did you skew one way or the other, analog or digital?
0: Well, when uh, a little later down the road, when digital got popular in professional recording, I always had my eye on it. Uh, they had uh, basically a VCR that could record digital audio, and that oh. was exciting. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, But I would say both. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, everybody loves a large format analog console. They're wonderful and exciting, and they certainly make good photo opportunities.
1: They do. You know, people love to get their picture taken in front of a console. Right.
0: Yeah, I don't know. know many
2: pictures that have been taken in front of ADAP machines.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: well, I, I see you have a Raven console here. We'll, we'll definitely get a picture of you in front of that uh, before we take off.
0: I don't know what I ever did without it. I love it.
1: Yeah. It, it, it certainly looks great in your studio. And, and your studio is just gorgeous. I know I said that already, but uh, oh, it's uh, very impressive in here. Um, Much appreciated. Yeah, you, you keep it up very well. And I read some really cool things um about some of the sound treatment you did and you have it hidden in plain sight um you know i i heard you have bass traps here uh under your monitors uh under the couch here where they're sitting
0: well there's a large foam brick under the couch yeah,
1: yeah isn't that, that but, uh, i think
0: that's great and this panel that has that speaker soften in the rear had to be built so we could mimic the other side sure uh but this is hollow and is filled with insulation and uh, the Augsburger-style base trap, which is pegboard. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. With a uh, fluff inside of it. Yeah. Oh, that's And then cool. uh, we drilled some bigger holes and some random holes. And then this floor, the raised floor in the back of the room,
3: mm-hmm.
0: along the edge in the front, yeah. uh, we drilled inch-and-a-half holes and then put insulation under the floor. That's great. And uh, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's a bass trap unto itself.
1: I'm, I'm actually, we haven't gotten a chance to listen to your room, but I'm I'm kind of excited to do that when we wrap up here and, and check out what the sound is uh, in person here. I, I know you said you're working on a track. Hopefully that's something you can let us listen mm. to. Uh,
0: it's got the booty. It's got the booty.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so
1: going back between the difficulties when you first got started and now, how have they evolved?
0: Well, it was interesting because... Analog was just a part of life, and, uh, and when digital came around, that was obscenely expensive. Sure. You know, Mitsubishi 32-track was a $200,000 tape machine, and that was in the mid-'80s. Uh, well, the first session I did digital was at Universal Recording in Chicago,
3: uh-huh.
0: and that was about 1980, and that was on a 3M 32 track digital sir sure. and uh, and that was just it's completely the high price thing so everybody sort of assumes well this is what's great and everything and and uh, you know the symphony orchestras loved it because of the signal to noise ratio and everything and uh, but I you know a lot of people that I worked with uh, preferred analog sound particularly with drums and guitars yeah and uh, so, uh, you know, it was in vogue, mm-hmm. and it was expensive. Of course, now it's exactly the opposite. It is, yeah. The digital is what's inexpensive, and analog is very pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 15 minutes worth of recording for $300 worth of tape or whatever. Sure, Yeah. Yeah, yeah mm. tape, uh,
1: if you can find tape anymore.
0: <clears throat> well, and then you have to have a staff because sure. people have to align those things mm-hmm. and keep them clean. And...
2: Do people know how to cut tape anymore?
0: <laughs> yes. They're all
2: typically in their mid-40s <laughs> and higher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I went to music school here
1: in, in L.A. I went to Musicians Institute, and it was an extracurricular course. It was a, a three-hour course to learn how to align the tape machine. And mm-hmm. it happened one time during the two years I was there. Um, so, you know, that's something they just kind of breezed over. And if you went to the class, you went. If not, you, know, right. you didn't. And uh, that was a choice that, that people made. And I'm glad that I went, um, though I didn't get to do much hands on. So I have to say that I'm part of that new tapeless generation
2: of engineers myself, though I'm. The 3M machine that you were talking about, for people who didn't have an opportunity to even know about this stuff, that was 44.116 bit because there wasn't. 24-bit right it wasn't better yeah. no so it was it was
0: whoa this is neat so and it did sound great uh, a lot of great records were made on that uh, including some steely dan stuff that yep. people think are analog <laughs> uh and but you know of, of course you weren't wielding on it with any plugins no. and dealing with those logarithms and things so that was just straight up recording yeah. and playing back and you got
2: to know what you're doing. Uh, sure.
0: You used a real Neve console for the EQ plugin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were plugging it in because you were actually plugging something in, yes. right? <laughs>
2: right. <laughs>
1: well, uh, before we got started here, I know you mentioned um, some of the original ISA modules that you have, uh, that you had in your original studio. Tell us about your history with Focusrite, where it started, and, and where you are now.
0: Well. I guess it would be a little bit of a fast-forward, but uh, I finally ended up building a studio in a high-rise with windows, which everybody said wouldn't work because they said musicians (laughs) don't want windows, and it's exactly the opposite. But it was nice because you're up high on the 10th floor, and so it's quiet up there, and, and you can see... So you don't feel like you're disconnected from the world, just looking down at it. and
1: You, you can tell it's daylight, or you can tell it's night. You know, oh, you, yeah. you, you know what's going on outside.
0: And, you know, we'd have the lighting so that it was very focused, so you could see out of the windows clearly at night, and it was like magic. And uh, so I bought my first Neve console then from uh, Phil Wagner from Neve. I know Phil. And at that time, uh, Siemens had a thing going that was sort of a turnkey thing. They later called it a power package. Okay. And it was a Neve Mitsubishi thing, Mm -hmm. uh, Mitsubishi Digital. And we used Dioxus Direct-to-Disc and uh, Performer. I actually have a disc somewhere, the first version of Performer. Oh, wow. And uh, with the little tiny miniature Mac Plus, you know. (laughs) And... uh, and so when we were selecting outboard gear, uh, the prime, most proud piece of outboard gear we owned was a couple of ISA series, uh, two preamps and two compressors, in their special vertical rack with the power supply.
1: And this is the I. This isn't the ISA that we currently have on the market. This is the ISA 110 and 120, correct?
0: Yes. In, in other words, uh, they, there's a. A rack with a power supply, and they slide in vertically. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost
1: like the original, um, uh, what is it, lunchbox. A, a big lunchbox. <laughs> a box. very big. Yeah, it uh, looks like, uh, um, so here in the studio, uh, David a has... A full Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> box. <Yeah. laughs> uh, David has a great picture on his monitor here uh, of that um, of those ISA modules, and it looks like it's about 12 or 14U. Does that sound about right?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it was... Considerably more than that, but okay. it was obscenely expensive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and there was, you know, there's always been preamps and things that were sold individually, but yeah. I kind of looked at those as the first sort of boutique, mm-hmm. you know, super pricey, super exotic. Yeah. Uh, and you know, back at that time, if you had some of those, that was really a special thing, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, and you paid for it too. But they sounded spectacular. One of the things everybody loved about those ISAs was the the beautiful sound that the 10K when yeah. Boost had. Yes. Because it wasn't harsh; it was it was soft, mm-hmm. so you could get that nice uh, sensitivity to the sound sure. without it pricking yeah. at your ear like a needle.
1: Yeah it doesn't it doesn't hurt to listen back to it.
0: Yeah, and you know, a lot of times you don't want perfectly natural sound you're looking for a sound right and you know uh there's facilities for getting natural sound but usually you're after something with some character
1: yeah but before we got started I was telling you about uh some mic pres that I got that were just far too clean um and I didn't use them because they they sounded too clean I wanted a little bit of color in my in my nice. guitar recordings that I was doing at the time
0: well, one of my favorite drum mics in the world is uh, for overheads is the Calrec Soundfield microphone.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
0: and it's spectacular as an overhead above drums. You almost pretty much don't need any other mics. Mm-hmm. However, it's probably my least most favorite vocal mic. <laughs> it just doesn't work for that. So, <laughs>
1: while we're there, what is your favorite vocal mic? Just since we're touching on that.
0: Well, uh, I. There, I don't have anything that's even close to a favorite one mm-hmm. because every vocalist has a mic that works. Sure. And so, particularly when we, you know, when when I'm in studios that uh, have a good collection, I put at least five microphones in front of them, and uh, y- you can kind of predict, but usually it just ends up being, oh, that one.
1: It's always funny when you end up on an SM7B or a uh, SM58 after shooting out, you know, all these vintage mics, and then you find out that just a simple SM57 or 58 is the best one. Yeah. And Sometimes that happens.
0: You know, I have a Townsend, and that's kind of exciting. Well, the, those is, are great mics. Because I, I prefer to do wrong things with it <laughs> that I, you know, that I wished I had.
1: I think, uh, I think doing the wrong things is what makes a good audio engineer.
0: Uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you have to it's experiment it's just to a, a degree it's a it's <laughs> a constant thirst, yeah, uh well, it's like music, you know, uh you have to have some imperfections mm-hmm. as long as they're perfectly imperfect because <laughs> there's a difference between an the imperfection is. and a mistake, sure sure yeah but if you <laughs>
1: if you put me on a on a vocal track, it's uh too many imperfections, uh. right.
0: <laughs> but you know sometimes uh if it was just perfectly in tune, it just would never be right, right. Uh, It'll
2: rub against everything else. Yep. Yeah. That's
0: when, yeah, when you start making things perfect, you
2: lose all the character because then everything has to be perfect. Right. One perfect thing makes everything sound. Yeah. It really makes everything bad. else go south. Yeah. What's the point of that? Yeah.
0: And but I do have a microphone that I've been looking for for some time, and uh, I spent a number of years at Cherokee and uh, i didn't work for them i did all my work there but oh. uh, susan hired me to do a lot of projects there and you know they had every microphone one could imagine sure. oh, yeah. the absolute most exotic variety yep and there was one mic that just kept on winning every time in the microphone contest and that was the neumann u47 fet mhm and uh, it always worked and it and it worked on everything Great, and it didn't matter what it was, and so I did track down one of those. They've thoughtfully re released it for a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's an easy one. It's like, Well, we're not sure, and you put that up, and it's like, Okay, that works.
1: It gives you something to try first. Well, the FET
0: 47s have so much character to them, where sometimes
2: the U47 just the tubes make it just nope, this isn't remotely right, right? But the FET is such a glorious like vocal mic, totally,
0: yeah. And I, you know, have some tube preamplifiers or whatever, so if mm-hmm. I need some tube essence, I just run it into a tube preamp. Sure. Uh, I like so I,
1: tube essence. Tube essence. Yes. I like that.
0: <laughs>
1: I know you have a, a RED interface. I can see that in your rack from here. Uh, is that the RED-8 pre, it looks like, or is that a 4 pre?
0: Well, that, there's a RED-8 pre. Okay. And then there's enough accompanying RED-8s yep. to uh, satisfy the 128 voice Dolby Atmos uh, limit. Then we've got uh, another one, another uh, red net that are mic pre's and another one that's dedicated to a home entertainment system that we use for reference in here.
3: Okay,
1: wow. Yeah, you have a, looks like like about six pieces of Focusrite gear that I can see
2: here. Thank Um, you. Yeah, thank you for that. Out of all the options that there are, You ended up with RedNet. I mean, was there a specific reason? Because we're not the only company, I'm going to say we're the best, but I work here. What do you, I mean, what was the reason?
0: Well, needless to say, this type of a studio, which is not only an Atmos mixing room, but also we switched to recording as well, uh, it's a new type of endeavor. And I had to decide that uh, there's something I might not know. So, I had to expunge my mind of all the options mm-hmm. and seek out some people that know their business in this arena.
1: and where did you uh, where did you find those people?
0: Uh, Westlake Pro and Dolby Laboratories. Uh-huh. And they suggested that I use uh, the the focus right products. And so I took their advice without any problem mm-hmm. because, the previous Focusrite products that I owned were some of the most uh, proud pieces of equipment I've ever owned, so that was an easy choice.
1: Oh, that's great. So your history with Focusrite helped uh, lead your decision into Absolutely. continuing. That's awesome. So you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, but after an amazing career in the audio business, how do you stay on the cutting edge of the technology?
0: Uh, well, since I was a very young kid... Uh, I've always been fascinated with anything that's new or taking whatever I did know and figuring out other ways of fashioning uh, those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's not something that you do all of a sudden. It builds up. So... Uh, it's just a passion. I, mm-hmm. I can't really help myself. You know, I'll yeah. go on my computer, and, and I like looking for plugins that some uh, hermit did in an A-frame on top of a mountain, and he only has three of them, but they're incredible. And Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm always on the hunt for things, and it's just a passion. But as far as uh, staying up on it, uh, the trick is is just to stay in it. Sure. And, uh, and you know every day that goes by you add one or two new things or something mm-hmm. like that and, and you stay with it. Yeah. But it's because uh that's what I love mm-hmm. and uh and the the only real drastic step was Atmos. Sure. Because I was starting to think, which is uh gets you in trouble every time <laughs> uh, that I, you know, knew a little something about something and I got my butt kicked all over the place when we got into the Atmos thing. And I had to learn, uh, I had to sit down and do training and, uh, and, and learn some things I didn't know. And the reason the room worked out as it did is because I got advice from people who knew more than I knew.
1: That's, you know, someone gave me some great advice and it's, that you never want to be the smartest person in the room and it sounds like someone you either realized that on your own or you uh or someone told you something similar because you've it seems like throughout your career you've been seeking advice of others and and i i feel like that's how you've you've stayed ahead is you've uh not decided your way is the right way you've decided to actually evolve with technology instead of um you know some some engineers are A little bit stuck in the past. You're not one of those. When
2: 40 years is the way to prove it, right? Right. You've been doing this through every iteration, practically, of what's going on. And to be at the forefront of what is happening currently is a feat, for sure. So that's, I mean... Yeah, I wish
0: I had a more glorious explanation for how, uh, because a lot of it is just... After you get your butt kicked around the block enough times, uh, then you you finally figure out. Because when I was in my early 20s, I had the, I know a lot more than I really do know disease. Sure. And everybody who's that age has that disease. And if they don't, there's something wrong. (laughs) Uh, You know, and... uh, and, you know, sometimes uh, you learn the easy way, and then but some other times I had to learn the hard way.
1: Well, it, it says a lot that, you know, after, you know, w- with the career that you've had and you've just, within the last year, opened a studio in Los Angeles, you know, it, it, it shows that you're still growing as an engineer and a and a businessman and a, and a studio owner. So congratulations on all of that. that that's amazing. Um, Thank you. And you've done this for yourself, which is also, uh, you know, very admirable. Um, and I think it's great. And, and I love what you had to say about Atmos and how you got started there. Um, and I'm sure you you listened to a couple of really cool Atmos rooms. I know you mentioned Westlake Pro. Uh, they have an Atmos room in their facility, which sounds really nice. We've been in there a couple of times for some events. Um, and speaking of Atmos, we heard that you got the very first Atmos for Home certification in North America. How did uh, how did you achieve that, and how did, how did that go for you?
0: Well, when I fell in love with Atmos... And the, the first real information I was able to get about it was at the A S convention in Los Angeles.
1: Oh, okay. Was that just a few years ago?
0: Yeah. Okay. And that was the first time I was ac- able to get some really in-depth information about it. Sure. And uh, and I heard a few things, and as, particularly with music, I fell in love with it because it's not the same as Surround or it's even close. No. So right from the start, when I decided to try to do it, and uh, initially it was in a room that was too small,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, but I was going to try because that I knew that that's what I wanted. It was like when I was a little kid, and I knew I wanted to make sound. Mm-hmm. I just knew it, yeah. And uh, and I had my. I had a gigantic Pro Tools rig when I was in the days of Cherokee and, you know, we used to work at NRG in the village and stuff. And, uh, and Westlake on Santa Monica Boulevard built that system with me. Yeah. And it was one of the better Pro Tools rigs in Los Angeles at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, I went back to them and their in their new place mm-hmm. and, uh, And right from the very start, it was about, well, if this is gonna be done, it has to be able to be certifiable. Mm -hmm. So right from the get-go, everything that, every decision that we made was in the name of making sure that we'd be able to be certified. So, of course, Westlake Pro is one of three Dolby vendors in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, if you're gonna do that, then we should spec this system for you and work with Dolby and let them spec the system.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, it's kind of a that's a no-brainer. It's like well, if you want certification and they design it, mm-hmm. uh, you're probably going to do okay. <laughs> you know, the one sticking point was is they hadn't done work with Adam speakers yet. Right. And I absolutely insisted on using them because. When I started using Adam speakers, and I've tried everything, mm-hmm. uh, was the day I didn't have to think about it anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah that's always great when uh, the work is taken out of listening.
0: And well, and you, the the drama about is is does this sound right? Mm-hmm. Is it going to translate? You know, yeah. is, are are we really hearing what we think we're hearing? Yeah, and that just went away, and I was like, holy crap, this is really good, and so. I told them I said, you know, the the one thing that I need to have is I need for it to be an atom system, period. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we never expected that, but let's try it out. Sure. So they they have a thing called Dart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll take a, a speaker design or a setup and measure it with your room and all kinds of other things, and uh, and they can tell if it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh. And the Adams had no problem with that and Great. Uh, uh, surprised the crap out of everybody when they actually heard it.
1: Were you surprised?
0: Yeah, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't have any idea what I was about to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and it was spectacular. And, you know, uh, when I was here with Tim Lawrence and Reb and heard it for the first time, we practically a <laughs> construction brick when we heard how, <laughs> lot, how powerful it was.
1: So since you insisted on, on Adam, what uh, made you choose them to begin with? So you, you must have had a reason before you went to Westlake with with uh, to build uh, your Atmos room.
0: I was in a, a, a store that had a huge showroom filled with speakers, mm-hmm. and they had all the good ones in there, sure. and we just went through them and... I'd originally thought about Adam speakers a long time before that. After hearing all the different choices, it was easy. Mm-hmm. And I heard some A7Xs, and I was like, "That's that's it." So I got those and one sub twelve, mm-hmm. and it was uh, a dream setup. I just couldn't do anything wrong mixing. That's great. And uh, so when you know when we did this, it's like, well, I'm I'm gonna stay with what I know works yeah. and. Uh, You know, I've had speakers that make everything that you hear through them sound incredibly beautiful, but that's a problem when you're mixing, particularly in the mid-range area, which is generally how they make them sound good is they get rid of the the nasty stuff and uh you know you need accurate mid-range is really important
1: yeah you don't want to be surprised when you get in your car or when you put on headphones or when you hear it somewhere else you don't want to be surprised
0: or at least uh have a good surprise yeah and it might not be the same for everybody sure. but it sure as heck is for me once you find it there's you know you're you're in there like swimwear <laughs> yeah so that ended up working out mm-hmm. and dolby was very happy with the results. They went way past what I needed for headroom and all of those uh, nice specifications that they use and yeah uh, and uh and yeah i'm I couldn't be happier with them but uh you know i that's the one thing I decided right from the beginning
1: great you told people what you wanted and you and you got it and you know, from what you're saying, it sounds great in here. We're gonna we're gonna give it a test drive. In well, a minute it's, here, it started so we out, it out as
0: an act of defiance, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what I like. You and know. It,
1: uh, and it seems like you were right. Uh, what uh, what kind of projects are you working on right now?
0: Well, we're really new right now, Sorry. and we have uh, we have some good things uh, on the calendar, but unfortunately, I'm not allowed to say what they are. No, no problem. Uh, one of our certifications is Trusted Partner Network.
1: You know, that was one of the things I was going to ask you. I, I did read, you had a great article in Pro Sound News uh, mm-hmm. very recently, and that's one of the things that I read in there was that you have a lot of different certifications. You wanna Do you want to talk a little bit about that, other than the Atmos certification?
0: The other certification of value is the Trusted Partner Network, and mm-hmm. Uh, MPAA has always had strict standards about security. Sure. Uh, so people don't find out who shot Jr. If, if if there's any people out there that are old enough to remember Dallas. I remember yeah. Dallas. <laughs> uh, but uh, late, you know, in the more recent past, there's been some movies from some large companies that were ransomed. Yeah, very recent. And it was uh, very expensive uh, recovering mm-hmm. from that. So... They had to up the game with uh, network security. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have very strict standards, and it was not an easy thing. We had to close this studio because to get the Dolby certification and the trusted partner network, uh, it wasn't going to work to try to work and do those at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we closed the doors and said we're going to work on this until we get it right. Good. And then when we're... Then when we're ready, we'll open it back up, and I do some uh, a fair amount of EDM uh, mixing in here, and uh, but we've done some jazz, and then we have uh, some movies in the books, and I'll let you know about them as soon as they say it's all right. as soon as they're no. not embargoed. <laughs> well, the MPAA certification is
2: super difficult, from my understanding. Yeah, they really really make sure that there's no way to get in to see in to hear any of it so kudos man that's a really good cert to have
0: yeah it's yeah. technical but it's also just how you conduct things yeah. and what are you going to do if you go to work and the fire department is standing at the front door uh, you better have a backup drive with everything you need on it in your pocket Yep. yeah <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so they, they don't leave a stone left uncovered, and it's uh, it's about uh, operational security and integrity.
1: Well, it sounds like job security, too, because when you, when you have those <laughs> yeah. things, um, people are going to look for you, right, when, right. Uh, when you have those certifications. Or
0: more importantly, if you don't have them, then they're going to be looking at you. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: Yep. Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything we missed? Uh, you want to plug anything that you're doing? Um, you can talk about your studio. Anything you'd like?
0: Well, uh, the work that Westlake Pro did at mm-hmm. specing this room with Dolby is way over the top. For instance, people are, are used to looking at like a device that selects what you want to listen to at any given time. Sure. So Tim Lawrence from Westlake and uh, Dolby made an app. an ipad and uh this controls the bss which is what the speakers are connected to Uh uh-huh and that's what dolby likes to use to tune the room with okay so they have a laptop with a, a software called audio architect and this room's also the first with a mac based server dolby rmu server so it's all dante no mixture of maddie so they just go and plug a cat six into their laptop do the room tuning or whatever so for instance i have a button here stereo sw mm-hmm. and i wanted that one for when i'm doing stereo mixing which is how i usually start at most mixes that sound more like a premium car stereo so it's got the super booty and you know uh, it's it's tempered to sound like a premium bmw system and so i can hit that button and and uh, when, I hit, when I listen to this and I make a mix and I go down to my car, mm-hmm. which has a premium Bose system, uh, they match up beautifully. And uh, so that software allows you to make whatever you want to make and put it on your iPad, and it's at the touch of a button. When I'm doing an Atmos mix, I, I select Atmos, but if I want to hear it in 7.1, 5.1, or stereo, I can create those buttons in here and it, it'll you can create anything you want and i love the slate yep oh it's a dyslexic's dream <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you know I, I like i love the photo opportunity and that the sexiness and sound of a great desk sure and certainly when you go to track bands i, I think you just absolutely have to have that yeah uh but when i get to editing and mixing and things of that nature uh, I like having everything right there. Yeah. And uh, and with the slate, you don't have to know how to use everything it does right away. You yeah. can just start using it. Sure. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, nudge value up and down, that's handy. Sure. And little by little, you yeah. start adapting into their shortcuts, and then you can't live without them.
2: Uh, I'm just excited to meet someone who's been in the industry so long from Milwaukee, <laughs> and had a great studio in Milwaukee. Being from Wisconsin mm-hmm. myself, so this is a so, fantastic treat. So
1: is um, mm. having great sock game a Milwaukee thing? Because I'm looking at you two, and you have great shoes and socks, and I'm just boring over here.
2: So that's a it's little not em- a Minnesota thing. Little embarrassing because these are Universal Audio socks. Sorry, I didn't realize. I that edit I that out now. You have to. You really do. Thanks, Spanky.
0: <laughs> well, and then there's, you know, of course, there's the Green Bay Packers socks. You,
2: Go pack. They <laughs> won this week. Oh, crap, they did. You <laughs> know they did, eh? 2-0, eh?
0: Oh, it's great. <laughs> you know 2-0 is 2-0 anyway. You cut it up. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Rams are
2: also 2-0. We don't care about them. Uh. <laughs> it's Packers. Yeah. Always Packers. I know. Me too. Cool, guys. Well, I
1: think this is a good place to wrap up. Uh, David, we appreciate your time today. We appreciate you inviting us in.
0: I appreciate you being here.
1: We we love it. I I love uh, getting out of the office uh, at any excuse, especially to come to a great looking studio and to meet with a a great engineer like yourself. So thank you for that. And congratulations on all of your success. You know, cheers to the future. I think you're just hitting your stride as it was. You built you built a beautiful studio here and now you just get to sit back and do what you love. And and, uh, I'm excited for you.
0: The future looks good. It does. Uh, The audio future, you know, the the future of the audio industry is really exciting, and there's a lot of great stuff happening right now. There is. You know, Atmos is, uh, it's one of the first things to come along in a while in the digital field, Mm -hmm. uh, that there's tons of new possibilities. Uh, There are so many techniques uh, being created, and that can be created yeah. Uh, and it's been a little while since there's really been something that you can do something new. So, I'm going to quick touch on this, which do I it. think is fantastic.
2: One of the main things that, to me, makes Atmos feel different than surround or quad is the adoption. To see that the new iPhone Pros all do Atmos sound is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. That is, to me, very telling that this is not going away. This is something that is truly adopted and it's changing the face of entertainment, how we receive and consume it. So, man, being certified on so many levels for Atmos was probably the smartest thing you can do, as you know, a studio and engineer and all of it. Man, like seriously, kudos. Yeah.
0: You know, it's funny. Even when you hear an Atmos mix out of a mono uh, phone speaker, mm-hmm. it jumps out of there and kind of goes around you it's, it's yeah it's beautiful uh, uh it's hard to to get away from and mm-hmm. i i'll tell you the first time i put a set of headphones on and listened to the binaural yeah track of, oh, yeah. of an atmos mix yep i took my headphones off cuz i was i forgot to mute the speakers uh uh-huh. but the speakers were off i was so convinced that i was hearing all these other speakers <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> and um so it's like okay I put my headphones back on, and uh, I had to take them off one more time. I I couldn't believe it. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Well, congratulations, and uh, thank you again, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you again soon.
0: Great. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, David. I hope to see you guys again soon.
1: (laughs) For sure. We won't leave you alone. We know where you are now. Uh (laughs) Cool. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Focusrite Pro podcast. This podcast is produced by me, Dan Hugley, for Focusrite Pro. Music is by Simon Poulton. If you want to hear more, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join our conversation on social media at Focusrite Pro. For more information, please visit our website at pro.focusright.com.